Welcome to the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast with me, Kathy Love. I'm a business coach who helps allied health professionals run powerful and profitable businesses in the disability sector. Join me for cutting edge interviews with leaders in the allied health and business fields, along with plenty of practical content that you can use to make your business practice perfect. Hello, everybody. Pin your ears back. The last words I just said before I hit record was, we're going to have to talk fast. Um, Jeremy Stretton uh, is my guest today, lawyer and director of SMS Legal, but also author of a very fabulous book, The Business Legal Lifecycle. Hello, hello, hello again. Thank you, Kathy. I think this is my third time on. I'm very excited to be back. Repeat offender. (laughs) I shouldn't really say that to a lawyer, should I? That's all right. I, I, I... Yeah, I, I can take all the lawyer jokes to me, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just start with the book because we're just talking about this, your book and, you know, it's it's 2.0 life that it's creating. Um, give us an overview. You know it's one of my favourite books, but run us, run us through why you did it, why it's so useful. Yeah, so I, mean, I created the book because... Really, and I won't go into all the all the messy details, but I had a, a few cases that I acted for when I was primarily a lawyer. In fact, when I was only doing law, that really frustrated me that people weren't getting proactive legal advice. They were just reacting to problems when they arose. And these these, these cases happened, and one client lost a million dollars of other people's money on a property development, mm-hmm. uh, and another client uh, lost hundreds of thousands, or almost lost, I should say, hundreds of thousands of dollars of his own money. It was only by very good grace that we were able to stop that from happening. Uh, and I really thought to myself, there's got to be a better way. I, I'm sick and tired of law being reactive. I'm sick of people coming to me when I could have solved a problem in the past. And so at the time, I was learning a bit about life cycles, and I was like, there has to be a business legal life cycle. And so I sat down, and I went through the at that stage, like five and a half thousand odd businesses that I'd acted for at that stage. And when, when, when do people do things well and people do things poorly and mapped out a journey that the, that a business owner would go through. And then I tested it out and it was born. And um, my, my business coach, who you know, um, he had once said to me years before that, that I would write a book one day. And I laughed at him and said, what lawyer writes a book? And when I had my 13 phases of what people should do and when they should do it in their business, I had to eat humble pie, call him and say, you are right. I now have a book to write. Oh, he would have loved that. He would have loved that. <laughs> he probably loved that more than the book. Yeah. No, well, he, he did love that. And um, and it was, it was really rewarding to actually sit down and write it. So it yeah. was um, a lot of fun. Yeah. So how does it help people understand their relationship as a business owner with the law? Yeah, so it goes through the different phases and what you need to do from a legal perspective in your business. And what I do is I, well, at the time when I was being a lawyer every day, I really fought my inner lawyer and explained everything in plain English so people can actually understand what they do because I think there's a very big divide between Mm -hmm. business owners and lawyers because lawyers use these big words and these fancy terms that don't actually mean anything uh, other than it makes them feel good. <laughs> and, it's very important to lawyers that they use their secret language. That's right. That's right. But it doesn't help a business owner to understand what needs to happen. So so what it does in plain English, it explains what you need to do, when you need to do it, and who, more importantly, who you need to talk to to get it done. So I can't. I, I couldn't write a book where it told you everything you need to do because you still need the advice from the consultant, the lawyer, the accountant, the coach, whoever, to implement it. But it gives you that guide to know what you should be doing to protect yourself 
going forward in your business. And it's very readable and it's just divided into sections and you just keep reading and gathering it up. It's not a it's not an academic kind of high-level book. It's super practical. So that's that's why I love it. Yeah, it's a, it, I, I like to think of it as a choose-your-own-adventure book where you can you can pick where you want to go. You can read it from cover to cover or you can dive in at different points and, and figure out what you need to do at, at different stages of your business. Yeah, very, very cool. Now, we were also just chatting about the, um, the self-assessment tool that you've got that sort of sits with and alongside the book, and that's kind of growing up since the last time we spoke as well. Yeah, so it's an it's a online test. It's an assessment that you can take of your business. And it identifies uh, what you're missing in your business, where you are in your in the life cycle of your business, and gives you an action plan for what you need to do to, to fix those those risk elements and mm. move forward with your business. And yeah, you know, um, when we first started talking about all this stuff, Kathy, I had version 1.0. I had my um, my minimum viable product, as they, they say to do, and, and um, it worked. And I, I, I love the saying that if you're not embarrassed by the first version of your tech product, you've released it too late. And I was definitely at that. And um, and the last couple of years, I have spent a lot of time and money uh, invested with a developer uh, who's now my business partner and we've developed 2.0 of that test. And it's really, really handy. It finds all that information out for people. And uh, it really is something that you can do as a business owner, take to your lawyer and say, I need help with these things and they can they can go and do it for you. So we will put a link to that in the show notes because I haven't, and I want to have a go at it as well. I haven't done it for ages. So um, I can enjoy the uh, series of uh, reports and emails thereafter. Good check-in, hey? I guess is it, I guess it is something that you need to do more than once. Yeah, I, I think it's something, you don't need to do it that often, but maybe yeah. once a year, once every couple of years is, is probably enough. Um, you know, because your business will evolve. You know, we, we were talking before the call and I've, I've said before, you know, I was a lawyer. You know, if you'd asked me before I wrote this book what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, I'd be a lawyer. And that's now changed to like four different businesses, <laughs> and, um, and um, which is fine. But, you, but that means that, you know, I've got to constantly think about the structure I've got to constantly think about how my business is protected going forward. And that happens with anyone's business. Very few people actually sit still and just do the same thing for the rest of their lives. Yeah, no, don't know any of them. <laughs> <laughs> don't know any of them. Alrighty, so we will make sure that everyone has access to that. Well, um, and on that, Kathy, I'll, I'll provide a link with a 50% discount. So it's normally $97 and your listeners can do that for, for 50%. As a, one for as the viewers. One for the viewers. That's right. It's good. No, it's a good tool. It was really interesting last time I did it. So I will um, dive on into 2.0 shortly, shortly, shortly. All righty. Speaking of shortly, we were talking for about four and a half hours before we hit record. So we're going to like lightning through some topics here. I was saying that I'm hearing a lot about um, commercial leases. And this, I guess, is for the allied health sector, this is really exciting that biz- more and more businesses are growing up. Um, and so some businesses, are finding their first lot of commercial rooms and others like hermit crabs are just kind of rolling up to the the next size and the the one after that. Um, And I guess um, I I sort of understand that there's also state-by-state variations so that your business in Brisbane can't necessarily advise other business owners in other states. Is that it's that's right on on the nitty gritty of what the terms of the lease are. Yeah. But like, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, something, something we haven't talked about. But I've released a UK a US edition of my book, and at a conceptual level, everything's 
very similar. And that's the same in Australia. So, so we can't get into the nitty gritty of what a lease can and can't say, but we can talk about broad concepts about commercial leases because uh, that is that, well, that, that applies across all Western countries, really. <laughs> yeah, yep. So sometimes I get asked about, well, how much can I negotiate on the lease? So just throwing you the piece of string question, Jeremy, <laughs> thank you for commenting on that. That's all right. That's a great question. And I think that you can negotiate everything in a lease. A commercial lease, there's no standard document that is a commercial lease. There are some, you know, some state-based agencies in, in the various states around Australia mm. have recommended leases, but there's no set term of a lease that has to be there. There are some in some legislation they're not things that if you're a tenant that you're going to want to negotiate anyway. That's yeah, I think you know about the, the time they can give you landlords can give you notice to to vacate. Mm. But everything that matters to a tenant you can negotiate, and you should negotiate it. Uh, you know, at the time of, that we're recording this in 2021, yeah, there's been a drop off in in commercial property at least in in Queensland where I am, and so so it's becoming more a tenants market. And so you can negotiate things like rent. You can negotiate the term of the lease. You can negotiate what security you have to provide. You can negotiate what incentives a landlord has to give you. You can negotiate all that stuff. And, and I would I would strongly encourage people to do that to see what they can get because if you don't ask, you'll never you'll, you'll never know, right? Absolutely. It's that uh, regret on all the shots you don't take. So rent-free periods, contribution to fit out, even negotiating the degree of the make good clause. Absolutely. And that can be that's a, a good one. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a big one. In fact, I was, I was just looking at this for a client um, th- yesterday. Uh, the, the terms can not require them to, to put stuff back. And that can actually be a, a good thing for a landlord because mm-hmm. then they can bring another tenant in. And a lot, a lot of landlords don't think like that. But once that's explained to them, like they, I've seen that change quite a bit where they will actually agree to not have, require you to move the fit out in, um, because I'll bring someone else in um, to use that fit out. Yeah. And also just the price, the price tag as well. Absolutely slay into that one, people. Absolutely. And and it, the landlord could just say, no, I don't want to negotiate on that. And that's mm-hmm. their choice. And then you've got to make the business decision about whether or not that rent is, you can afford that rent, whether it's you know market rent, you know, it's a, so you've got to make that decision, but you should always try and negotiate it. And, and push as hard as you can. A lot of landlords don't like to reduce their rent too much because that reduces the value of their property yeah. uh, because it is tied to that. So that can be a reason. But there are other things you can do. You can ask for, for more generous fit-outs. You can ask for uh, you know, rent-free periods. You can ask for discounts on rent. There are things you can do that, that landlords are often open to to help them save face with their bank but also get the deal across the line with you. Yeah, yeah. Good sound reminder. Go in and negotiate. Any other kind of closing thoughts on that bit? Any other little nuggets you can add into into that? I can. I've probably said this before, but say it again. But for everyone who enters into a lease or any contract, read it. Don't like read twenty eight pages. Read twenty eight pages, even yeah. if it's fifty six pages. Read it because you can get advice from a lawyer, uh, your accountant, whoever, right, about the document or, your, or or another real estate agent or whatever, right? They're not going to know all the intricacies of your, of your business. They're not going to be with you day to day in mm. renting the premises. So you, th- there are pages and pages and pages of obligations that you've got, of responsibilities you've got. Read it and understand it. And th- and then you've got to get advice from a, from a lawyer. I always recommend that you do. Yeah. Uh, if there's specific things that you're concerned about, 
make sure you talk to them about it. Like a classic one is, you know, often, well, not often, but from time to time we see restaurants for, or oh, sorry, leases for restaurants that don't let them um, have any heating apparatus in the in the premise. Cool, there's a thought. <laughs> and people don't think about it. And then they're, they're going in there and then it's all fine for the first four years. And then there's a fight between the landlord and the and the tenant and the landlord uses that to try and get, get rid of them. So read it and make sure that there's nothing that, that mm. you know, doesn't work from a commercial point of view and ask and and I will add to that, don't don't be afraid to ask lots of questions. Yep. And make sure that you understand it completely so that you know what you're doing going forward. Yeah. Good one. Good one. Good one. All righty. So our next uh, item on the menu is um the old classic about sham contracting. <laughs> Fill the Chardonnay, I say. <laughs> just, <laughs> wait, do you think we should start it or just dance around the edges? I mean, it's just it's so compl- complex in some ways, but you got to know it. You do, and and really, what you I mean, what what you're referring to here is when having someone as a contractor when they're really your employee. I mean, that's really what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. And I like the smell test. If it smells like an employee, it probably is, right? So, so what what does an employee smell like? <laughs> you started the topic. It's oh, like, I could get I'm my, just being friendly. Yeah. I could get myself into a lot of trouble with that one. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. So what does an employee look like, sound like, be like? Yeah. Well, the, the big thing is what else are they doing? If they are just working for you, then they're probably an employee. If they're if you're supplying all of their equipment, all you know, if they've got computers and room and they need rooms and all the rest of it, and you're supplying all that, then they're probably a contractor. Oh, so they're probably an employee, I should say. Uh, yeah. it, it's very rare. A contractor has to be someone who has their own business, is doing other things. You, you know, the, the rule that the ATO likes to work on is the 80-20 rule. That you know, mm. if you are doing 80% or less work for a company, then you're probably a contractor. But if you're doing 81%, or more, you're probably an employee. And, and yeah, that's not just the money that you earn. It's really the time that you spend doing it. And so it's just not worthwhile fighting because unfortunately what happens is often a, a, an employee who's really an employee wants to be a contractor. They want to just be paid as a contractor and pay their own stuff. Then there's a fight two years later. They go and ring the ATO and the ATO go, well, yeah, you're really an employee. And so as a business owner, You've tried to do the right thing, tried to, to keep your, your, your staff member mm. happy, mm. and then you can get hit for additional tax, the, the PAYG. You can get hit for super. And there are big fines. Leave loadings, blah, 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 and, blah. And most of that stuff, if you if you are fined it, is no longer tax deductible as well. So that's a change that's coming in the Ooh. last couple of years. Like super especially, if you don't pay your, your, your employee's super and you're found to, to be responsible for and you pay it down the track, that money is after-tax money, not tax deductible. Now, I don't agree with that because I think it's still, anyway, that, that, that we're getting into a philosophical discussion over, over government policy, <laughs> which could go on for hours, but that's the rule. And so as, an, as the, the employer, you're taking a huge risk in agreeing to have someone as a contractor. It's not hard to have someone to actually run all this stuff for you. There are services out there. You know, there's people that, mutual contacts of ours that yeah. do it. Uh, yep. uh, and, that, and they do it all for you for, for a, small, a small fee. And so it is worth doing so that down the track mm. you're, not, you're not exposing yourself. And, I, and unfortunately, yeah. I see that happen not all the time, but from time to time where people have tried to do the right thing, they've tried to, to keep their, mm. their new team member happy, and then it's come back and bit them and it's really, really sad. So don't do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
been told. Um, and so bearing in mind that a lot of people listening are physios and occupational therapists, speech pathologists, psychologists, exercise mm. physiologists, one of the bit that's really hard to kind of understand and accept is the whole thing about clinical supervision. So as an employee, the owner of the business would be wanting to have clinical oversight of the work that the employee does and provide training and appraisals and development plans and supervise and grow um, the clinician employee. As independent contractors, that's not really meant to happen. Yeah, and I guess that comes down to the type of business that they want to have. And yeah. if, you, if you do want an independent contractor, then you have to make sure that they're doing at least twenty-one percent of work for someone else, mm. and 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 be and be shown it. Don't just take their word for it; be shown it. So yeah, it depends on the business model that you want. If you want to just have like a group of contractors, then double check it, get advice, make sure that you're, you're putting the right procedures in place to, to make sure that that works. But if you want to build a, a business that, that's, that's bigger than yourself, then you do have to go down that employee model. And I get it. I understand. And, mm. and you know, not just in that in that space. We see that in the building space, for instance. You know, most, most builders want to be paid as contractors as well when they're really employees. It might be tough, mm. but the law is the law. You can't get around it. <laughs> Whether you agree yeah. to it or not, yeah. you've still got to do it. So yeah. uh, I, I would say, yeah, I get it, but get advice. Do it, Follow the advice. Do it properly and, and you'll be fine. Um, and just, and if you do want to do the contractors, make sure they're working somewhere else and just, uh, you know, and stay on top of it, you know, just because they are, you know, on one day, uh, and, and, you know, they might get let go or they might decide to leave somewhere else. You got to double check that in the future as well. So it's not just at the time, it's, it's, Mm. it's an ongoing checking Mm. with them as well. Yep. Yep. So let's give a shout out to Natasha Hawker and Employee Matters, shall we? Yeah, absolutely. She's a, she's very good at this stuff and no, she knows it yeah, better than anyone I've ever met. So, yeah. Yeah. So the message on this one is um, don't think that you're going to be okay. It's really about getting that um, those legal eyes over your documents and not just over your documents, but also checking in that con- that people really are working elsewhere, that they really are ticking all of those boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, because the other part of what you mentioned before, the financial implication, there's, there's a whopping big fine as well. Yeah. And none it's of it's over 60K, 66, yeah. 60 something K. Yeah. Something ridiculous like that. And as I said, it's all after tax money. So <laughs> it makes it even worse um, because because it's uh, it just it just adds up and adds up and adds. so in other words, that 66k comes straight out of your back pocket. Yep. Yep. That's gonna hurt. Yeah, and it is just not worth going down that path. And yeah, if you have people who insist on doing it, you've got to explain that you're not willing to take that risk. Not that you don't trust them, but you're not willing to take that risk and yeah. that you yeah, most people are reasonable. Yeah. All right. Well, Tasha's phone's ringing by now, so we'll <laughs> let her uh, let her uh, kind of help us help us with this one. Yep. Anyway, next topic is the one that no one wants to talk about. Mm. Mm. Take it away. <laughs> of emergency. Yeah, it's the exit plan. It's the yeah. what, what happens if you become disabled or if you pass away. Unavailable. Yeah. You're unavailable. Uh, what is your exit plan? Can I say, too, this is a really important topic. P- people don't like thinking about exit plans. They don't like thinking about their will. They don't like thinking about their, their succession planning. I get it. I don't want to die. I don't want to think about what, what happens with that. But if you want to go on holidays, then you should be thinking about what, what's the succession plan for you to be able to go on holidays? What's, the, what, what's in place 
so that you can go and do you know have a life outside your business as well so the same the same procedures yep. and the same concepts need to have that discussion so yeah having a will in place is super important if you've got business partners how is that going to be dealt with you know? have you ever updated your will almost in the waiting area of to- of the airport as you fly out or is that just us well i, I i've done it the week before yeah there you go there you go <laughs> so efficient yeah well, exactly I, I, we've done it not just once like it's almost our trigger it's bizarre well, we had, we had, my wife and I did our wills. She, she's an ex-lawyer as well. And we had done our wills before we had children. And then a week before we were taking them overseas, we realized we had to do our will, redo our wills to include them as well. Oh, so. <laughs> so, so it's something that you should look at every year or two. Or, and especially yeah. when, when something major happens in your life, like having children, <laughs> um, like, um, you know, things like if, you, if people unfortunately get divorced. Uh, um, or remarried that can actually nullify wills so you need to get all that that sort of advice it's, it's not something that people like thinking about but it's super important and, and where i was going to go with the business partner before is mm-hmm. just the importance of having an agreement about what happens with the business if one of you passes away because i love my business partners uh, but i and, and their spouses are lovely people but i don't want to be in business with them and most people don't want to be in business with their with their um, business partner's uh, spouse so there are arrangements you can put in place where that can, yeah to trigger so that won't happen if something happens to, to one of the business partners. So you've got to think about all those things and remembering too that it's your legacy, so you want to decide what's going to happen with it mm. and you've got to spend the time and, and the money in doing that and it's, it's well worth it to give you that peace of mind, I think, yeah. going forward. So let's pull it apart a little further. Mm. I'm sometimes surprised about the lack of kind of agreement, formal agreement between business partners in the first instance. A cuddle and a handshake, look, it's lovely, but it leaves a lot (laughs) to the imagination. So perhaps we should just tap on that one quickly for those that are in business marriages. So so you should always have some sort of agreement between shareholders uh, even when i was going to say especially where, where they're not related even when they are related it's, it's yeah. very important as well um I, I think that having a shareholders agreement that, that defines really i like to think of it as a disagreement so it's it's everything's going to go swimmingly you know it's going to go swimmingly but if something happens to someone or someone changes their mind or what they want to do this solves those disputes and lets and and, and sets the grounds ground rules for that for those disputes mm-hmm. um with with a shareholders agreement you can have triggers in there to say that people can't sell their interests without letting you know um and or giving you the option to buy first and then there's also a mechanism that, I'm, that i was talking about with succession planning called a buy sell option agreement and that's one of those fancy lawyer words, but uh, you know, or terms. I heard it, <laughs> which I acknowledge. And in my book, I do explain what it is. And, and just simply, what it is is it's an agreement that says that if something happens to you, you automatically sell your interest in the business to to the other side, or to, to your business partner or partners. Uh, and you can either have a set price, you can have a way of determining the price, and you can actually put insurance in place. So it's a life and mm, and and okay. a dis- disability insurance. This, this is what I have with my business partner in my law firm. Is we have an agreement that says that if I pass away, then automatically he gets to buy my shares and my my estate gets an insurance policy uh, that would leave my wife and my children very well off. <laughs> um, and, 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 and it's very common to have that and, and vice versa on the other side. So the, the, these are things that don't take a lot to put together, but they give you the peace of mind and solve that problem when you're going to be in the situation or you know if, if something happens to you, 
your family and your loved ones and your business and all the rest of it are already going to be grieving. They're already going to be going through a lot of stuff. Mm. Throw that on top of it. Yeah. The times I've seen that happen is really, really tragic. So it's worthwhile. So you're not in great state to be making complex decisions. So it needs to be super structured. Yeah. And and you can do that and you can put it all together and and, and then it's set and forget. Um, yeah, review it every couple of years, make sure that it's still what, what you want. Because as I said before, businesses change, goals change, thoughts change. That's stuff fine. happens overnight. That's right. It's gotta be current. And so and so so do it, but do it and 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 have it drafted and ha- we'll have it have it signed off, have it there. So if something does happen, then you're then you're protected. And again, I know people don't don't want to listen to it, our viewers. You may They're not want to not even listening now. <laughs> you may not want to do to it. Oprah or something else. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> Hopefully we're interesting enough for <laughs> Well, it's it's one of it's um it's a necessary conversation. Um, so what's your guesstimate about the percentage of people that don't have current wills? Um I'll give you a more more scientific than that. So we with the test, one of the questions is about wills. And okay. so we 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 have it's not a massive data set. Um yeah, like, like as far as the the mm. yeah, all, all the all the business owners. I, I would say it's upwards of 75% of people don't have a will. Don't 75% don't. Yeah. No way. I thought you were gonna say about 50 or 40 or something. No, no. <gasps> wow. 75%. And yeah, I, I would include in that people who have just tried to do it themselves as well. Because they're not really With the one at the post, um, post office. Yeah, it's not really binding. Shouldn't be sitting there next to the the mints. It's just <laughs> you have mints at your post office. Yeah, we have amazing post office. Really, living oh. in the country, living the country post office dream. So many things. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> oh wow! Okay, so you got a lot of work to do. You can't retire anytime soon. You've got wills to write. I do. I do. Well, not me. My team does. But yeah. mm. <laughs> mm. So why is it so important to have one? For the reasons we've talked about and that you, know, you, you literally don't want to be left with people fighting over your estate or going by, yeah, there are rules in each state about if you die, what will happen to your estate. Mm. Um, and so a good example of that in Queensland where I am, the... If you die and you have a, a spouse and kids, uh, most people would think everything goes to my spouse. Well, that's not what happens. The first, I think it's the first hundred and fifty thousand dollars goes to your to, to your spouse. Your property probably goes to your spouse, mm-hmm. and then whatever's left over gets split between your spouse and your children. Um, so if you've got three children, your spouse gets the first hundred and fifty thousand. They might get the house, and then anything else that you've got gets split four ways. And that's very similar, not only in every state mm-hmm. in Australia, but I can tell you it's very similar in the states and the UK and even South Africa, where. I've, I've almost released my book over there as well, and it's mm. very, very similar around the world, that, that kind of law. So whilst it's not the most comfortable of activities, um, be very pleased to know that we reviewed ours in 2019. I'm going to say it took us months. Like it really took us months. We had meetings and then we had to make decisions which weren't easy or pleasant and we weren't very good at that bit. So it was back to the lawyer and we have adult children. So we actually had to bring them in as well to kind of find out their wishes or unwishes. Um, <laughs> they, yeah, you know, you could, well, you can imagine you've met plenty in my family. You know, we had wills and we had won'ts. So, um, but it really, it took, it took months. Mm. It took months. Um, um, but it was kind of a good conversation to have as well. You know. I think doing anything like that properly, 
Mm. It does take a bit of time. Like pe- people, they come and they want to do things really quickly and there's got to be an expectation that it, it is a conversation. It's, it's it, Even like, like with the shareholders agreement that I was talking about before, that's a conversation. That's uh, going away and reading it. That's uh, thinking thinking through everything. It should take a, a month or so or, or two months mm. to get it right. And the same with the will. Uh, yeah, Some people, if they've got simple affairs, then they can just do a simple will. If, they, if it's just a husband and wife, no kids. Yeah, um, or or young kids, then then that could be very simple. But it, as soon as you get any sort of complexity, it's complicated now. But you know, multiply that by that by many many times if you die without one, and that's what your people have to, what your family has to deal with when they're already dealing with you grieving. Yeah, yeah. The other thing we thought about um, is also introducing our kids to our advisory team, like they know them by name Mm. um, and they'd Google them and they'd find the phone number. But we actually kind of started to think about how we would make those introductions and under what circumstances and where documents were and where details were and, you know, everything short of passwords. Um, They kind of will have, it's not quite mapped out yet, but um, it's Mm. one thing to have the will, but then there's a functionality to it afterwards as well, I guess. Yeah, there is. And um, one of the, the classic, one of the simplest ways to do that is to put the business cards of the advisors with the will and to it's no gold. Gosh, you're useful. <laughs> so, people we, still have business cards. I don't, but yeah, the law in the law firm we do. Lawyers <laughs> do. Lawyers Accountants do. Accountants probably have them as well now that we think about it. But, but what we do is we give a copy of the will. And with yeah. the business card, with our business card at least, and, and we often tell the clients to get their other advisors and put them with them, put them in a safe spot and tell your children where it is uh, so that if something happens to you, they know where to go to to, to find out what you're doing. They're not trying to trudge through all your paperwork and throwing things out and <laughs> trying to figure out where things are. No one needs to be doing that under those circumstances, do they? Well, they don't need to be doing it under any circumstances, but especially mm. in, that, in that time. Mm. Yeah. 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 Alrighty, what else can we add into the um, the bit about the wills and the in case of emergency the exit? Um, the other the other thing is around the power of attorney. Having a oh, ha- yeah. having a having someone as your power of attorney is is important. If you've got a business that's say operated by a trust or a company, mm. then that entity yep. has to give its own power of attorney. Yeah, um, it's, it's something that a lot of people fall fall foul of, and, and it causes a lot of problems. So, so say if I'm going overseas and I'm the direct the sole director of a company, uh, I can't. My, and my wife has power of attorney; she can't operate that company because she's not the power of attorney for that company. So, I have to, I'd have to give her authority to do that. Now, this day and age, when we're allowed to go overseas again, I'm just saying, <laughs> you're dreaming, but I, I went with it because it yeah. was fanciful. Um, Hopefully it will come back, yeah, in the next year or two. Um, we'll, we'll wait and see. Uh, but it, but even if you decide to go on holidays, I was going to say to WA, but yeah, that's even problematic these days. So. Well, as we said before, it's one thing to go; it's just quite another to come back. That's right. So so um, so yeah, but also thinking about something happens to you. So if, if you if you get injured and you can't make decisions or if you're in a coma say mm. right a power of attorney can apply in those situations so uh, you've got to think about all those documents and have them in place and as I say if you've got any sort of company structure or trust structure they have to give the, the power of attorney not the not the individual and yeah I've had clients who have like 50 entities and, and they're going on holidays and we have to do 50 power of attorneys for all their entities so that their affairs can be dealt with whilst they're away mm. I'm going to check that one I don't recall doing that bit however you know it could be there 
you do sign right. when you're doing that you do sign a lot of paperwork so I just double yeah <laughs> a lot of those little sign here tags yeah yeah beautiful beautiful all righty so quite the rock and roll conversation about your book about taking the test yep. to see where you're at with the life cycle. So thank you for the uh, special uh, special deal for the viewers. That's all right. Um, commercial leases, negotiate, yep. because if you don't ask, you're not going to. It's no before. If you don't ask, it's no. So you yeah. may as well ask. <laughs> may as well ask. Um, the sham contracting and some of those tests around independent contracting and to get mm. the advice. Um, make sure you understand all of that. And then the, I call it in case of emergency, the ICE plan, but it, it could also be exit and succession planning as well. Yeah, absolutely. They're all such important things. And I, I say to the viewers, don't be afraid to go and get the advice. If you don't like, you know, if they, if you feel like they're being condescending, you can either tell them or go and give other advice. There's plenty of, there's plenty of lawyers out there where, you know, we're a dime a dozen in some respects. Yeah. We're finding a good one that, that will, you know, go look after your needs it can be very difficult. Yeah. So, yeah. So remind us about the sort of legal work that uh, your crew does. So we do everything for business owners. So we help them through from, you know, fr- from startup all the way through to exit and do everything that they need as, as business owners. Uh, from a business point of view, we can act for people throughout the country. And if we can't act for someone, then we have, or if there's a if there's a reason that we can't do it, we do have a network of lawyers that we can refer to around the country as well uh, to to say that. And the same with the with the life cycle test, we can actually we actually have a referral system set up. So when you get your report, when you see the, the version two point Kathy, you'll see that there's a refer me to a lawyer, and you'll actually um, get a referral to a lawyer if you want them as well. Excellent. All righty. Great to have you back. Third time, third time visitor to make sure we get you back. It's, yeah, you haven't, we haven't chatted for ages, so make sure <laughs> we get back in before the end of 2021. 20, Sounds good. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. All righty. Thanks. See ya. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast. For show notes and other resources, please visit practicemadeperfectpodcast.com. While you are there, you can subscribe for future episodes and continue your business adventure with me. And please be sure to share this and other episodes with your friends and colleagues. The Private Practice Made Perfect podcast is brought to you by Experts on Air Podcast Network.